Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to uh, back to our service here this morning. Harvest Kale, it is so good to be preaching God's word to you again after uh, six weeks or so where I have been traveling with my family and we've been making our move back to the United States. Uh, I just want to let you know that we are doing well. Uh, it's not always easy. Uh, there's things that are challenging. Uh, we don't always want to be here in this position, obviously, um, but... Uh, the Lord is, is just doing amazing things and just doing wonderful things with us. And so I want you to know uh, that our, our family uh, is adjusting to things here. Um, I start my job in about two weeks uh, here, and uh, the kids are doing homeschool, and we're trying to find a place to live and uh, getting them started in, in those types of things. So there's a lot still up in the air for us. Um, but one thing that hasn't changed, even in our departure, is our love for you. And uh, I want, want you to know that we uh, very much care about you, continue to pray for you. I uh, pray for you, uh, many of you by, by name, and certainly all of you in our church family. And our desire is that Harvest KL would continue to be a place that glorifies God as they make disciples who are loved and sent. And uh, our, our heart is so for you in all of that. And so I wanted to just begin the message today with just that short update. Um, thank you for praying for us. Uh, we still need your prayers. And, uh, and yet at the same time, we want you to be assured that God is, is doing a good thing among us. And so uh, this morning, it's my privilege to preach God's word to you. And the elders have asked me uh, to preach on the topic of hope. And uh, so today, uh, I want to uh, really merge with the theme that your church is currently involved in uh, and the course that the elders have set for you and really uh, complement that by preaching God's word in line with those things. And so uh, I recognize uh, that your theme is coming from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 31, uh, where Jesus, uh, half, about halfway through a discussion with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and put to death, uh, he says, uh, after sitting down at the table, doing the, the, the Last Supper and teaching them about the Holy Spirit, he says, rise, let us go from here. Your theme is rise, let us go from here. And, and when you read that statement, um, it, it's, it's actually quite shocking when you begin to think about it. You realize uh, th there's a problem kind of in my heart when I hear the statement because I want to obey Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to obey him. But this is a crazy statement. Rise, let us go from here means that he's saying, rise, let's head towards my betrayal. Let's head towards my death. He, he says, we're going to leave here and go closer to my death. And that's crazy. Because you think about that, death is, is one of those things that is, is most life-shaking when you begin to think about it. We don't like to think about it because it, the, it's uncertain, like what happens after death. And, and Jesus is saying, rise, let us go from here. Let me go face all that I have come and purpose to do according to God's plan. That involves me going to the cross. That involves me dying. And the disciples are saying, we're followers of you, but, but Jesus, you're going to your death. I got to tell you, when I read a statement like this and I think about my future, and I think this is true for all of us, not just for me, there's uncertainty about the future. I, I don't know the future. I don't know what's next. And so I don't want to rise. I don't want to go from here. I, I would rather stay where it is secure, where, where I'm, I'm at this place where I kind of know things. I don't want it to move forward into the unknown. And so my heart is anxious. It's not comforted. And I lack confidence to follow Jesus, to, to do what his word says and to work in the service of his kingdom for his glory. I, I find myself paralyzed because rise, let us go from here. I, Jesus, I want to follow you, but there's so much uncertain about the future. 
So I think you you and I do uh, something really similar. We probably all get to the spot where there's uncertainty of the future, where there's uncertainty about what's all that's going on around us, and we can't rise to follow Jesus without some assurances. Now, notice when it says, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here, he, he's giving a command. He, he's He's inviting us into obedience with him and, and to not rise and to not go from here, this place of comfort and security and everything that I know, to, to move on into the unknown. It would be disobedient to not do that. So there's a dilemma in me because I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I know I can trust him, but there's things I don't know. There's things I don't know about what the future is. And you think about the, the state of the world that we live in. In this last year, we have experienced more uncertainty and more lack of understanding of what the future holds than maybe any of us have experienced in our life before. And so today, how do we rise and obey what Jesus has to say? Well, the title of the message is Rise in Your Hope. We're going to see today how hope is an essential element to obeying what Jesus has to say when he says, rise, let us go from here. Rise, let's complete my purposes. Follow me, come with me. Rise, let's go. I'm going to need to understand hope if I'm going to be able to be obedient to this command. And so the main idea that I want you to see here today, write this down if you're taking notes. Even if you're not taking notes, this is a good thing to write down just to have somewhere close by uh, for the coming week. This is the idea I want to form the whole sermon around. It's this, to rise and follow Jesus confidently in uncertain times, I need hope. You see, I want you to follow Jesus confidently. I want your heart to not be anxious, but be able to trust in the good hope that God has given to us. I don't want you to be paralyzed when Jesus says, rise, come and do the things that I've called you to. I don't want you to run away and go the other direction when Jesus said, this is the thing that I'm asking you to do. I, I want you to obediently be able to follow Jesus and to rise with him. And so today, uh, I, our text is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It's a short little benediction, but in this benediction, in this kind of moment of outburst of worship at the end of the truth that Paul was writing to the letter to the church at Thessalonica, he, he writes this, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Does your heart need some comforting today? Are there some things that are uncertain around you that is making, diff making it difficult for you to actually follow and obey Jesus? Then you need hope. Do you need your heart established, and the idea of established is a firm foundation so that you can actually be obedient to the scripture, to what Jesus has to say? Well, that starts when your hope is assured and secure and confident and certain. And so today, rise in your hope. Rise to live faithfully in following Jesus. I want to start here this morning. We need a definition of hope to really grasp what it is that, that this text is actually telling us uh, is true. And so let's start with this. Number one, uh, point number one this morning, write this down. Rise in confident expectation. If we're going to rise in our hope, if you're going to rise in hope today, then we, you need to rise to a place where you have confident expectation. You need to understand what hope actually is. Now, to understand what hope is, we need to see that there's a difference between the way we ordinarily use the word hope and the way the Bible is using the word hope right here in this text and in others as well. So there's three ways that we commonly use hope hope, it, number one, is, is the desire for something good in the future. And so it's when the little boy it says to his mom, I hope dad gets home early so that we can play football. You see, it's a desire for his father to get home to experience this good thing, this good hope, the, the playing with his father uh, before, the, before the sun goes down. There's a second way that we use the word hope. We, we use 
hope when it's a good thing in the future that we desire. So I hope that Maggie will arrive home safely. You see, Maggie's safe arrival is the object of our hope. If she arrives home safe, that, that's our desire, but we're not sure if that can happen, but that's really what we want. It's the object that we would pursue. And then there's a third way that we use it. Hope is the chance circumstance that we prefer. So I hope it doesn't rain or traffic home is going to be terrible, right? You know how the roads are when it rains. And so what we see here is there's this chance circumstance. We don't know if the weather's going to change or not. It's kind of like we're not in control and it just may or may not happen. We see the cloud in the sky and we wonder. And we don't know, but we want a good future determined for us. So we don't want the rain to happen. When we use the word hope, we use it in three ways in ordinary, everyday living. It's, a, first of all, a desire for something good in the future. Second of all, it's a thing in the future that we desire. Third, it's the reason for thinking our desire might be fulfilled. All three of these common ordinary usages of the word hope are found in the Bible, but the most important feature about what the Bible says and defines hope is, is not present in these ordinary ways that we use the word hope. And so we get confused. You see, we see the word hope in the Bible and we think that it might be a chance circumstance or a desired outcome, an object of our hope, but, but we don't know if it will actually happen or not. The distinct meaning of hope in scripture is almost always opposite to the way we normally use the word hope. I don't mean opposite in the, in the sense that we want something, that we want something bad uh, instead of good or a rejection of good. What I mean is that, uh, that because or, or of the ordinary use of the, word, of the word hope, we express uncertainty rather than certainty when we say, I hope it happens. You see, the ordinary way we say hope is it may or may not. I don't have certainty. But the way the Bible uses the word hope, when it says hope, it says there's this confident assurance it is going to happen. There's certainty. So we say, I hope my dad gets home early. We're not certain that he will. I hope Maggie arrives safely. We don't know, but that's our desire. I hope it's not going to rain. Well, the rain... Will allow If it doesn't rain, it will allow for a quicker trip home, but it's all kind of this chance, 50-50 chance thing. Ordinary hope expresses uncertainty, but biblical hope, here you might want to write this down, it's not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather the confident expectation of a future good. You could even just write that last phrase down. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of future good. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. It's confident that it will happen. It's certain that that will be how it happens in the future. So I want to make sure you understand that this isn't just me making this up. I, I want you to see the scripture actually defines it this way. And to do that, we're going to have to look at another passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 6. If you want to prepare and turn there now, uh, let me just kind of set this up here for a second. We see here that from scriptural evidence that when we say that there's hope, there's confident expectation, there's full assurance. In the, in the book of Hebrews, the author is warning his readers in chapter 5 and 6 that it is possible for people to have remarkable religious experience, experiences and still commit apostasy and go beyond the point of return in rejecting God. It's saying you can actually look like a really spiritual person, but, but it's possible to, to look like that for a time and then at the end just reject God. And what the author is saying here is, uh, I'm sure that you're not going to be that way when we see in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, his statement here, he says, though we speak this way, though it's possible for somebody to, uh, to uh, reject God in the end, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. 
For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, look at it, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may be not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Now, I brought you here not to expound the whole chapter of Hebrews here, but but to help you understand that one phrase. Did you see it there in verse 11 about hope? It says, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. This is a remarkable statement. The, the author is saying that he's sure his readers will not be among those who are apostate and reject God because of their continued love and service, their perseverance in those things. They didn't make a temporary decision to follow God and then change their mind, but it, he say, he's showing them, uh, I can see in you that that's true of you. That's not going to be your case because you have this full assurance of hope. And by the way, keep your hope hot. Keep your expectation for what God has to say. Keep that at the forefront. Keep looking to that. Don't give up on that. Keep that hot. That is the thing that allows me to, to believe. This full assurance of hope. You see, hope, in biblical terms, there, there isn't like a partial assurance. There's not like a maybe, maybe not assurance. The, there's a full assurance. This is a place where the scripture is defining the word by using it in a sentence. It's saying when you use the word hope, there's full assurance of hope. It, it's like saying it twice to help you understand the power of what he's being, what is being said here. So here's this full assurance of hope. What does that actually mean? It's hope that is fully assured. It's hope that is confident. It's hope that is certain. Here's what it's not. It's not the finger-crossed, lip-biting outburst when your team is at the very end. Maybe they're going to win. Maybe they're going to not. We got to get the points. And you're just all anxious. Of what, you don't know which way it's going to go. It's not that. It's, it's fully assured and confident. I know. In all of this, we see something really important. There, there's a close association of faith and hope. Actually, I would suggest to you that hope is a subset of faith. When, when we look in, when we believe by faith in the things of God, we, we're believing things that he's said in the past that are true right now in the present. But when we believe the things that he's going to say yet in the future, that, that's the subset of faith called hope. And so it says here, in verse 11, it says that you're supposed to go hard and the full assurance of hope. And the result in verse 12 is that you will not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith, there it is, faith and patience inherit the promises. The result of pursuing hope is that you will be like those who by faith inherit the promises of God. So you see that connection between faith and hope, right? That, the, that these things go together. Hope is something that should not waver because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. Because I can trust God for, for salvation, I can trust him for the future, the hope that is yet to come. I can be fully assured and confident in expectation, hope-filled, because I have learned that God is trustworthy. Do you believe that to be true? Hebrews actually speaks, just turn over a page or two, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 actually helps us understand this. In verse 22, it tells us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's actually the same word, full assurance of hope, full assurance of faith, okay? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, Hey, listen, the reason we can hold on in hope, it says, to do that, right? Hold on, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You don't have to worry or wonder or go back and forth if it's true. We, not, we can have confident expectation because he who promised is faithful. He never breaks his promises. He's always trustworthy and true. We can always put our full weight of trust in what he has to say. Now, I think it seems crazy, and I would suggest to you that it's unnatural, unhuman for us to believe hope in this way, to have this full assurance of hope, until we realize what the character of God is. 
You see, my trust about what the future is, the hope that I believe in, is based upon what I know the character of God to be in the past and in my life right now. So when we say rise in your hope, that's this message. I'm trying to get you to rise in your hope here today. Your hope, notice, it's in God. It's in his character. It's in his trustworthiness. It's not in yourself. It's based upon him. Now, this is an important realization. I think it's so important that that I would encourage you again, write this down, write this phrase down. Biblical hope is not possible in man's strength. Let me say it again. Biblical hope, this kind of confident assurance that I'm that I'm speaking of, it's it's not possible in my own self, in my thinking. I can't conjure it up. I can't make it up. I can't make it happen. It needs to come from something outside of me. And so we see, I want to give you an example. I I want to give you an example of a man who was, who was uh, actually commended in in the Bible for his faith. We know that Abraham was commended. And Paul, when he was writing in Romans about Abraham and his, and his faith, he he actually uh, stumbles upon uh, Abraham's amazing full expectation, confidence in God. See, in Romans chapter 4, in verse 22, it says uh, that that is, uh, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. So, so we understand that his faith is counted to him as righteousness. I'm going to go backwards here a little bit. Abraham had faith in God for the future good that he desired and that he was promised, and that's counted to him as righteousness. He believed it to be true. Go back one verse. We can see why it says he fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham had this full conviction that God was able to do it. In other words, he had this full assurance of hope as he heard what God said about his ability to have children and that he was going to have as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. And I mean, that took that took something to believe in because it it was something that wasn't happening at the moment. Matter of fact, it actually, if you go back one more, or a couple more verses, it t- describes this in verse 18. It says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. God said, your offspring, you're going to have all these offspring. And Abraham believed, notice what it said, it said here, believed against hope. What it's saying here is, that in hope, he believed against hope that he would be the father of many nations. Against hope means that against the ordinary way of looking at things, the ordinary way of hope. Uh, it, it, that was going to be a chance at best. He was old. His wife was barren. It was uncertain that God's word would actually come true. But Abraham, being too old to have children and Sarah being barren, he had hope against the uncertain hope that we nor ordinarily have. He had biblical hope, not based on things that are possible with man, but with God. Biblical hope looks away from what is possible with man and in faith to the promises of God and puts its full assurance in them. And so Abraham had the strong confidence in God fulfilling his promises. It wasn't in his ability to accomplish it. It wasn't his ability to control or power things. It was trusting what God had to say in that. And isn't that so many times the difficulty that we have? This is where many times the, the, the things that we learn at church have difficulty meeting the real life situations that we're involved in. Because I know that Okay, I'm supposed to have faith like that, and I believe the hope and the confident expectation of things, but then then I get hit by life and the uncertainties that it causes within me, and I begin to wonder and worry, and I don't have that hope anymore. I'm not trusting in what God has to say any longer. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of something good in the future that God has promised and not based on me. So, In Psalm 42, we have this this statement, important statement. It's actually uh, a conversation that the psalmist is having with himself. And and as he kind of wavers in his thinking, he, he commands himself to have hope. So he says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Listen, when we have ordinary hope, it's easy to get to that spot. 
But he then goes on to say, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So, so we see here, we know that scripture tells us we're supposed to kind of have this kind of hope. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're, we're told that our hope uh, should, should come out of us and be observable by those around us so that they ask us, what is the reason that you have uh, for the hope that's in you? How can you handle this situation? This is the kind of thing. I just lost my job. If I lost my job like you did, I, I, it would wreck my life. If I got the doctor's word that I had that disease, I, I wouldn't be able to function. How is it that you're still able to trust God and praise God and live confidently? See, that's what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, that we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. And John, our theme verse, 14, verse 31, rise, let us go from here, requires this biblical type of hope. I mean, Jesus just finished his last meal with them. There's a speech to the disciples before his betrayal and death. We talked about this already, right? And they're going to follow Jesus to the cross, and then they're going to desert him. Lack of hope. Failure of hope something they had to ultimately repent of. We see that I know that I'm supposed to be a person of hope, but I hear Jesus say things like, rise, let us go from here. And I consider what's going on around him as he say, says it, and I, and I fail. I'm not confident in the promises of God. I'm actually kind of hopeless. You know what a hopeless state is, right? You're shaken by fear. You're insecure and anxious. You're demotivated. Things that you used to really be excited about don't even, don't even excite you anymore. You stop serving. You might even get irresponsible. You turn inward on yourself into self-pity. These are all the marks of hopelessness. We can easily come to that place because there's things in life that, that affect us in ways that cause us to move in that way. How do we get hopeless? Well, we just get beaten down by life. We live in this broken world. And we go, I, I just don't have hope. I'm so discouraged. You might be overwhelmed by sin. You're, you're living a sin pattern and, and you just keep sinning and, and you kind of don't want to do it, but you kind of keep doing it. And, and ultimately, you just get to the spot where you think, I, it's never going to get better. I'm just going to get worse. You get hopeless. You come to the spot where you realize that you don't have the capacity in yourself to actually be hopeful in any way. And so you hear a message like this and you think, wow, okay, I heard the definitions of hope. I understand the differences. Biblical hope is certain. Unbiblical hope is uncertain. I'm supposed to have biblical hope. It's even commanded in scripture. It's modeled by all the heroes of our faith. But I can't do it. I can't do it, pastor. Where do I get hope? If I'm in that spot where I am hopeless or I find myself in a hopeless moment, where, how do I recover? What is our hope based on so that I can figure out why it is that I can have, why is it so important? Why is hope a characteristic of somebody who believes in Jesus Christ? Well, there is a clear and simple answer that we read in our text here, this benediction from 2 Thessalonians. We can rise in our hope when we understand God's grace. Write this down. Rise in hope because of God's grace. The grace of God is where we find the source for our hope. We see this here in 2 Thessalonians. Let's read it again. Uh, verses, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Do you see where we get our hope? Do you see where hope comes from? I mean, this is a clear and simple answer. It's just, it's just right there in the phrase. Good hope through grace. The grace of God is the wellspring of confident expectation. It's the wellspring of hope. It's the source of hope. Hope is based upon the grace of God. If God were not gracious, we wouldn't have any hope. We would cross our fingers. We would get anxious. We would bite our lips and, and desire good things to happen. But we wouldn't have the confident expectation that that's going to be what it is. But when we see that there's the grace of God, we realize we have biblical hope. We have confident 
expectation and assurance of everything that God has to say. We can put our trust and hope into that. And so two questions I think that we need answered here. Number one, question one, what is good about our hope, this biblical hope? And two, what is the grace through which hope comes that this verse speaks of right here? And I think the best way to answer those two questions is actually to answer them together by seeing grace in action. You know, it's super easy to, to make statements like the ocean is powerful and everybody knows that the ocean is powerful, correct? But, but it's a whole different thing to be on the ocean in a small boat, moving up and down massive waves, almost capsizing as you're in this storm and the, the, the ocean is all around you. You experience, it's the ocean in action. You know the ocean is powerful. Well, I believe we need to see grace in action in that same way. We need to, to, to identify this grace and show how it works. And in that, I believe we will be in awe of how grace provides us hope. And so let's just go back a couple of verses to understand this. Let's look at verses 13 to 15 here. Let me read them and then unpack them here a little bit. It says here in 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What we see here is that, that Paul is writing and he's saying, this grace that provides salvation is the basis of your hope, and, and he shows us that grace in action. L let me just... Uh, organize the steps of salvation. We did a series a couple of years ago called Clarifying Salvation. If you want more about this, you can go check that series out. But for this morning, notice uh, the steps of salvation that happen when we, when we believe in Jesus Christ and, and come into his family, when we go from death to life, spiritually speaking. In verse 13, it's, it says the first thing that happens is that God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Before you had any idea that you wanted to be saved, God had chosen you. He had, he had decided that he was going to, to choose you out of the world to be one of his family, one of his children. And then we see um, that, that chronologically, the second thing that happens is actually in verse 14. It says, to this he called you through our gospel. This is, this is what happens. God chooses you and then he calls you. He says, I, I want you. And he, and he whispers into our lives and woos us to an understanding of him. And he brings us to himself through the gospel, the good news that you don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus has paid for them. If you put your trust in him and believe in him, he will, he will purify you from unrighteousness and bring you back into relationship with a holy God. That is the gospel news that we hear. And then it tells us the next step. It says that God chose you. He calls you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, these things are things that happen simultaneously. So it's kind of like step 3A and 3B. These things are happening at the same time. The first thing that happens is sanctification by the Spirit. Uh, that, that's the process where God makes you like Jesus Christ. He, he removes the sinfulness, the desires, the actions, the thoughts. He removes those things from you supernaturally, and he makes you more and more holy and like Jesus Christ. It's the process we go through over a lifetime. But the second part of that, is that not just what God does to purify you and cleanse you and, and, and make you sanctified, but it's your belief in the truth. You see, when you harness those two things together, that, that's evidence of this grace that's been given. And so these, this, this step happens simultaneously. God is making you more holy as you believe in the truth that he has, that he has told us. As you read God's word and it impacts you and you're like, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to live. God is working supernaturally by his spirit to move you along up the hill to uh, the glory of Christ. We're going to see that in a second, but let me just illustrate this as well. So when I was in Turkey, we got to go horseback riding. And we were riding all around and, and, and the horse was ready to come home and we were going up the, up the hill, up the hill to, to, to uh, where its stable was. And, and here's what I found. The horse was going to get me there whether I wanted to or not. 
It was trained. It knew what it was supposed to do. We were following along with other horses. Even if it ran off, it would ultimately bring me home. But wow, things worked so much better when I got in line with what, what the, the beast of burden that was carrying me and was able to learn how to ride with him. Now, I'm, I'm not a great rider at all, okay? I'm actually, I'm actually pretty new at riding horses. But you can just imagine people who know how to ride horses and ride them well. When they work along with the horse, that wow, they, they, it brings them together and with great speed and style. And that's the way it's supposed to work, right? And, and the same thing with sanctification. When we believe in the truth, we're like, like the rider working with the horse and, and the spirit moves us along, we get to the place, step number four, of obtaining the glory of Christ. To this that he called you so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's the future that we're trying to get to. And this is grace in action because I want to show you something. Each step that I just described to you is an act of grace. And so let me show this to you here this morning in this way. Think about it this way. Step number one is that we are chosen according to grace. And in Romans 11, verses, verse 5 and 6, Paul is trying to show that God has not forsaken his people Israel. Some are being saved through his ministry, and in the end, the whole generation is going to be saved. And he compares his time with the time of Elijah when there was a faithful remnant who didn't bow down to the pagan gods. And so he says this, Romans 11, 5 and 6, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, Literally, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You see, when God chooses, it's not, he doesn't choose the pretty people. He doesn't choose the strong people. He doesn't choose the good people. It's not based on anything the people are. It's not based on who I am. It's completely on his choice and decision. And it's grace. It's this I don't deserve it, but I get this gift. He chose me. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but that's God's grace. God's choosing of us in that way. Now, notice the second thing, second step was that we are called, but we're also called through grace. And we see this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. It says this it's, uh, in 2 Timothy. <clears throat> it says, um, uh, sorry, I missed it. God saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not in virtue of our works, but in virtue of his own purpose and the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus ages ago. So we see here that, that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our virtue, not on our characteristics, but all on his purposes and grace. The third step, remember there's two parts to this one, sanctification and belief in the truth. So we see that we are sanctified by grace as well. In verse 13, God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. It's the process uh, of becoming more like Christ, the day-by-day -day working out what it means to be chosen and called by God. And in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul examines himself a little bit in order to know where he stands with other believers. And in verse 9, he says that he's the least of all the apostles because of his persecution. But then in verse 10, he says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God, which is, which is with me. So while he doesn't use the word sanctification here, he's describing the, pro the, the process of how he has become a hardworking, obedient apostle. And three times in this verse, he affirms that the transformation in his life from going uh, from one who was, a, uh, was persecuting the church to being an apostle, a leader of the church, he says, first of all, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then second, he says, God's grace to me was not in vain. And then third, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. See, I think this is how we as believers are supposed to think of and talk about our sanctification. My life is a work of grace, but by God's grace, he chose me for salvation. And by God's grace, I'm called to a life of holiness. And by God's grace, I am now being transformed to be like him. And I'm supposed to work hard, but as I work hard, the fruit of my labor is revealed in how he, by his supernatural spirit, changes me to be like him.
Step 3B, remember they go together, simultaneous, the sanctification of the Spirit. But we are made to believe in the truth through grace as well. So the fourth step in the, or, or 3B in our salvation is that God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, it says in verse 13. And so we need to ask, is that belief the work of God's grace? And it is. In Acts chapter 18, verse 27, we read about some of, some of Paul's travels. And sometimes you get a deep insight into a man's theology uh, by some of the, the remarks that are made. And, and Luke here, inspired to write this, writes this in verse 27. It says, When Paul had wished to cross to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. It's just kind of a side comment in that verse. But, but what an important under, comment to make. How did they believe? How did you come to your belief? Is there any true saint who can honestly say, say, I overcame my rebellion against God in my own strength. I took out the heart of stone in me and I put in a heart of flight faith. I changed myself from a skeptic into a trusting child of God from indifference into a, a passionate pursuit of the Lord. No, nobody can say that. When the trusting child of God speaks the truth of God, he says, by grace, I overcame my rebellion. By grace, I believed in the truth uh, that was presented for me. And so it is by grace again that we see this. And then lastly, Obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ by grace. We see this in verse 14, that this is the part of salvation and the future that we have. This is what we're looking forward to with hope, that we would have this glory of Jesus Christ, and that comes through grace. How can we be sure that our salvation will really turn out in glory and not destruction? How can we know that our, com that our comfort, uh, our, our eternal comfort and hope is really a good hope? Well, the answer is the grace of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, just a page over from where we are, it says this. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his call and may fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are finally glorified in Jesus Christ and our salvation is complete, that too will happen according to grace. From the beginning of our salvation to the end, salvation is a work of divine grace. Hope is based on the great work of God who gifts grace to us. It has nothing to do with my ability. There's nothing in me that can conjure up and create the hope that is confidently assured that what God says will come true. It's only grace. So we need to pause as we come to an end of the message here today and just ask, do I need to repent of lacking hope. I mean, I'm not sure that's always the first thing on my list of things that I think I need to repent of. Many times I'm thinking of other actions that I have committed, and I don't think about the things that I should be doing, but am not. And this is one of them. I should have hope. I should have confident expectation in the faithfulness of God. But that's not always what it is. Too many times, my hope, what I think the future is going to be, is based on myself, not on God and his grace. And so take a moment right now and identify what hinders you from following Jesus confidently. What hinders you from rising and going from wherever God has you now, to the thing he wants you to be involved in next? What causes you to stumble? What aspect of hope do you lack? No, many times I don't feel hope because I don't feel like I'm in control of what the future actually is. And I need to repent of an idolatry of, of control.
that I give up on God and I don't think expectantly uh, about what, he's ha- what his promises have been because it's out of my control. Do you need to repent of that? Sometimes I think I feel powerless. I mean, we're talking about the future and I'm finite and I can only live in the moment. I can't change things in the future. And, and actually I get pretty angry because I'm, I'm a person that has an idol of power and I want, to con- I, I want the ability to influence things. And you might need to repent of that because it may be hindering your hope. It's possible that comfort is an idol. And so you say, I, I'm just so uncomfortable. I, I, it would be uncomfortable to rise and trust Jesus and follow him in this way. It would be uncomfortable to trust his words to actually come true. It would be uncomfortable to do what he has to say. It, it, I, I don't know that I, I can actually fix the relationship the way he wants me to because it's a lack of hope. It's a lack of a confident expectation of what God has to say will happen if I do things his way. And because I have an idol of comfort, I resist and I don't move forward. Or maybe I'm just insecure and I'm all about the approval of people around me. And and to do things God's way would cause the people around me to think differently of me. And, And I don't believe in the hope that if I do things his way, that I'll be in the most secure relationship ever. And so I don't actually uh, hope and allow myself to be obedient to hope because I feel insecure. If this fits any of you, I would encourage you to repent. It's wrong to base hope on yourself and on your ability and on your thinking and on your experience. Hope is the confident expectation that what God says will be true. And so you may need to repent today. And you can just ask God, God, you can tell him, I've been doing it, I confess, I've been doing it wrong. I actually don't hope in you. I hope in other things. I hope in myself. I, whatever it is, God will open his arms to you. Remember grace. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He, he's merciful. And, and then he does give you the things you are, you don't deserve. And, and that's grace. And, and so believe, hope in God. He's faithful. He has given you grace. Would you do that right now? Repent and believe that you can then live in the way that he has called you to say, well, pastor, what's that? If I begin to hope, how will I live? Well, the verse tells us, and write this down. This is really number, point number three today. Rise, because rising means that you will follow Jesus confidently. And that's really what's being called for here. And notice what it says in verse 17, that once we understand that good hope comes through grace, that will comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Two things happen when we live with this kind of hope, this confident expectation. Number one, your heart will be comforted. You will live with confident expectation of what God says about the future. And that means you'll be able to stand firm. That's what it says in verse 15. So then brothers, stand firm because of the grace that you've been given. You'll be able to actually uh, not run away and do things opposite of what God has called you to. You won't just stay where you are, but you'll actually get up and move to the things he wants you to be involved in. You'll be about following Jesus. It's the best place to live in life. Not in your own thinking, but doing things in his way. Listen, We must come to a spot where we are so confident about God's faithfulness that we are not moved in our belief and our hope about what he has said and that it will come true. Here's the second thing that happens. Notice again in verse 17, not only will there be comfort in your hearts, but he will establish your hearts in every good work and word. He's going to establish your life with good works and good words. He's going to, you're going to find a purposeful place in his kingdom. Listen, people who follow God in his kingdom are hope-filled people. And that's why they can speak confidently about the future that other people wonder if, if it's certain or not. Verse 15, he says it this way. He says, hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Hold to the explanation of scripture. Hold to the things of God's word. Hold on and be established in that. That is how we live faithfully. That's how we rise and go with Jesus Christ. That we follow God's word and are active in his service to the things that he has called us to here in this life. Listen, we're calling you to rise in your hope. 
And this morning, we've been able to talk about what that hope is. And we've seen here that it's not the uncertainty that we ordinarily talk about, but it's this confident expectation in the faithfulness of God. We see that it's not able to be conjured up within ourselves, but it's something that comes, it's a gift of grace of God. And when we look back onto our salvation and we see that grace in action, we can then realize, come to the spot, wow, he did all of that and I didn't deserve any of it. And, and so now I can trust him for what he says the future is going to be. That allows me to comfort, have, have a heart that's comforted and established and secure and confident in him. That allows me to rise and follow Jesus confidently in uncertain times because I have that hope. Harvest KL. This series, this month, we are learning what it is to be called to live faithfully in uncertain times. While I don't know the details of the uncertainty of your life, I know this. We can hope in God. We can give an answer for the hope that's within us. We can live confidently in, in the assurances of the faithfulness of God. We can go through promise by promise what God has said and know that they will happen exactly how he has said them. That will bring comfort to your heart and it will establish you to live, to, to rise and follow Jesus, to live in the way that he has called us to right here and right now. We do that because he's faithful. He's been faithful then and he's faithful now and he'll be faithful to the future. Hope in God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to hear your word. And Lord, we come today and we recognize that sometimes your word actually says things that are different than the way that we're living. And we need to change. We need to repent. And God, would you, by your spirit, whatever is going on within the hearts and minds of those who've heard this message today, as they've heard your word, God, would you give them the assurance that they can hope in you? Would you help them to see, would you help each of us, God, to see where we may be failing in hope? Lord, this is such a powerful concept, one that allows us to have comfort in our hearts and live properly with you. Lord, if there's anything that is out of line with that, would you check our hope? Would you convict us by your spirit? Would you do a work to, in us to see your grace? Lord, we want to look with eyes of faith to believe these things to be true so that we can live according to these things, that we can rise in our hope. Lord, we know this is based on you and your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that you have fulfilled every promise in history that you have ever made. Lord, I thank you that you've fulfilled the promises that you've given to me, that as I've read your word, I've seen your promises. And each and every time, you've come through 100%. Lord, would that be the basis for what my hope is, for what your promises are for the coming days, no matter what goes on around me? Lord, would you build us to be this kind of people, a people of hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.